Which opera diva has been called the most influential singer in American history? Find out the answer and more in today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. The answer was the star-spangled singer herself, Marilyn Horn. I'm your host, Dr. Naomi Baratera, and in today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we are joined yet again by lecturer Ira Siff to discuss his experiences and memories of watching not only Marilyn Horn perform, but also divas like Shirley Verrett, Montserrat Caballé, Magda Olivero, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, and Virginia Zayani. Hello and welcome to Great Divas I Have Seen Part 3. I'm Ira Siff, commentator of the Metropolitan Opera Broadcasts. As I mentioned in previous installments of this podcast, in my first years as a Met standee at the Old House, it seemed that certain divas virtually owned certain roles. When you thought of a role you saw and heard in your mind's eye and ear, that singer, Sutherland and Lucia, Callas and Tosca, Tibaldi and Mimi, Nilsson, Turandot, Price, Aida, and so forth. Such was the case with Elizabeth Schwarzkopf and the Marshallin. If de Rosenkavalier was presented, you thought of Schwarzkopf as the Marshallin, even when she wasn't the Marshallin. She came to the Met kind of late, just a few years before she halted her opera career, although a decade before her 1974 Carnegie Hall farewell recital. But she was known very well through her many recordings, no accident, as the diva was married to the head of EMI Records opera division, Walter Legg. Schwarzkopf's Octavian for her debut Marshallin was the beautiful Lisa de la Casa, who would sing the Marshallin herself later in that season. Apparently there was no love lost between these ladies, to the point that Della Casa skipped almost all the rehearsals, even though it was her first Octavian ever. And during the premiere, when Della Casa was scene-stealing during Octavian's comic moments, pretending to be the Marshallin's maid, Schwarzkopf apparently grabbed her colleague by the wrist, refusing to let her move. But from the audience, one would never have suspected such antipathy. Schwarzkopf's Marshallin was a deeply moving experience. One could see the beautiful woman age before your eyes as she saw this chapter of her life passing. In addition to Schwarzkopf and Della Gaza, the Sophie of Anneliese Rotenberger added sublime silvery floated tones and a vivid characterization of this spirited young woman. And when the three joined forces for the famous trio of Act Three. When the Marshallin releases her young lover to Sophie, Schwarzkopf's dignity, beauty, and majestic bearing created an unforgettable impression 
as did her heartbreakingly sung opening phrase of the trio. We're going to hear Schwarzkopf and Rautenberger joined by Zena Jurenach as Octavian in this recording of the trio from Rosenkavalier. Herbert von Karajan conducts.
1965 brought one of the most beautiful voices opera has ever known. Montserrat Caballé appeared entirely by surprise in a concert version of Donizetti's Lucrezia Borgia at Carnegie Hall, planned to present Marilyn Horn in an unexpected bel canto soprano role. But Horn encountered some potential complications during pregnancy, which caused her to withdraw at the last minute. This Spanish soprano, unknown to New York public, was engaged to replace her. The atmosphere at Carnegie Hall was one of prevailing disappointment with an edge of curiosity. But as soon as Caballé began to sing, you could hear a pin drop in the often cough-racked Carnegie. And at the end of her opening aria, the house exploded. A new star was born with an RCA recording contract and a Met debut immediately offered. Caballé was desperate to sing in the old Met before it was closed, and so she made a hastily arranged debut as Marguerite in Faust the following autumn. The Met couldn't find a Marguerite costume to fit her, so they put her in Regine Crespin's Zenta costume. But Caballé's real impact came in the bel canto arena initially, and we are going to sample her opening aria, Come Bello, from Lucrezia Borgia, and bello it is. Caballé's silvery tone and unearthly floated pianissimos at Carnegie Hall that night astounded an unsuspecting audience. Yonel Perlea conducts.
One can look back to the late 1960s and see the emergence of a number of sopranos and mezzos of color who emerged and went on to important careers. In addition to Linton Price, we had marvelous artists like Martina Arroyo, Rary Grist, Grace Bumbry, Shirley Verrett, and many others. Each one offered something to place her on the A-list of opera singers at that time. Shirley Verrett's extraordinary career spanned four decades, included mezzo and soprano roles, and transcended limitations of Fach, excelling in bel canto, Verdi, Puccini, Berlioz, pioneering in colorblind casting as Desdemona, singing both Cassandre and Didon in the Met premiere of Berlioz's epic Les Troyens, virtually no notice when Christa Ludwig, the scheduled Didon, became ill. Verrett's individual vocal timbre, combined with her blazing vocal delivery and physical beauty, made her a perfect Eboli in Verdi's Don Carlo, singing the most exciting Odon Fatale of my experience. We're going to hear the diva as Eboli, filled with self-loathing over her beauty, which has caused so much trouble, and resolute in her mission to save Carlo's life with only one day remaining before she'll be banished to a convent for consorting with the married King Philip. This live performance is from 1971. Anton Guadagno conducts. Thank you. 
No discussion that includes mezzo-sopranos can happen without mention of the astounding Marilyn Horn. Horn's prodigious coloratura technique with rapid vocal divisions tossed off as if effortlessly brought a host of Rossini mezzos and mezzo roles from his serious operas back to the public. Horn was also a prominent Rosina in The Barber of Seville and a charming and vocally commanding Isabella in his L'Italiana in Algeri. But it was the, the heroic male impersonator roles like Tancredi, Malcolm in La Donna del Lago, and particularly Arsace in Semiramide that were the Horn specialty. One amazing thing about Marilyn Horn was the fact that her virtuosic delivery of Rossini's music improved as the years went on until the end of her considerable prime in the late 1980s. One turns to early recordings with most singers to find their freshest vocal work, but here with Marilyn Horn we'll experience her Arsace from 1986, by which time she had been singing the role for just over two decades and it's more astonishing than ever. We'll be listening to Arsace's opening aria in Cabaletta as he describes the day he first encountered his love, Princess Adzema, and how his heart skipped a beat. Horn's traversal of the tricky break between chest and head voice in lightning speed figures in the Cabaletta speaks volumes about technical mastery. Marilyn Horn. Henry Lewis conducts.
Marilyn Horne was reputedly responsible for another contribution to Met history that had nothing to do with her own performances, but which brought to the new Met at Lincoln Center an artist who was a cult figure known to opera lovers in the States who collected pirated live performance recordings from Europe. Magdo Olivero, whose career spanned an astonishing 1932 to 1993, is considered the last great Verismo soprano. Olivero sang almost entirely in Italy, with a few forays to the Netherlands, where she was worshipped and appeared in many concerts at the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. She finally made her U.S. debut in Dallas in 1967 and her New York debut in 1970, her voice still in perfect condition. But it was Marilyn Horne who urged the Met to engage the diva in 1975 before it was too late. Oliveira brought her old-school style and presence in the form of her spectacular Tosca in April 1975, making her Met debut in a title role at the astonishing age of 65. Still capable of powerful high Cs as well as delicate pianissimos, Olivero subjugated the public, many of whom had never even heard of her, let alone heard her. We're going to hear her unforgettable Visidarte recorded on a cassette machine from the family circle by yours truly in April of 1975, certainly one of the greatest divas in my experience.
We just have time for another great diva of the old school style whose performances at the Met were sadly as rare as Olivero's. Virginia Tsiani came in 1966 to bring her internationally worshipped Violetta. Tsiani was the Violetta of her time from the mid-1950s to the early 70s, racking up over 600 performances of the role. Let's hear her deeply moving Adio del Passato at the Met in 1966. Georges Pretre conducts as we conclude this portion of the great divas I have seen. Oh, <laughs> 
That was lecturer Ira Siff sharing his experiences watching some of opera's greatest divas, including mezzo extraordinaire Marilyn Horn. To watch some of Miss Horn's and others' most celebrated performances, make sure to start your seven-day free trial of Met Opera On Demand, which you can find at www.metguild.org. And to keep up to date on all things opera, visit the Metropolitan Opera, the Metropolitan Opera Guild, and Opera News on your favorite social media platforms. I'm your host, Dr. Naomi Baratera, and thank you for listening.